0: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
1: As a therapist, I would say this. Sexuality between a couple is typically what I would call the thermometer uh, of diagnosis for a relationship. It doesn't tell you what the problem is, but it lets you know that there's a problem somewhere.
0: Dear young married couple, you're in a busy season of your life. You're probably working and involved in ministry. On top of that, you might even be parents or students. You're maxed, but you really want to stay connected in your marriage. And
2: that's why we're bringing this podcast to you.
0: I'm Adam King.
2: And I'm Carissa King. And we work with busy couples just like you in our counseling office here in Sacramento, California. We also work with couples all over the world through online counseling. And our couples are really just looking for ways to communicate with each other more effectively. Some of them are looking to heal from a breach in trust or find direction in fulfilling the purpose that God has for them.
0: So come and join us as we have a conversation. We'll talk with therapists, authors, pastors, and other couples who will pour into us, giving us tools to become more intimately connected, get adventurous, and find purpose. Hello, everyone. We are so excited to have with us Brother Jason Carr, who is a therapist. He's been a licensed marriage and family therapist for years and years. Um, We use a lot of his material, and he's also a pastor, so he has a unique voice in our movement, and um, I'm sure it's going to be an amazing conversation. So welcome, Jason Carr.
1: Thank you for the invitation. It is an absolute honor and and privilege to be asked to be a part of something great that that both of you, Sister King, are doing in the kingdom of God and offering resources and and advice and information to people that's that's so valuable and helpful. Ah. And and thank you for the invitation, the very kind words you had to say. In the beginning, you make it sound like I'm older than I like to think I am. <laughs> I've been licensed for years and years. So.
3: Well, we're thankful to have you. Uh, share with us, how long have you been licensed?
1: Uh, since 2003. So I guess that's been a while, right?
3: Yeah, it's been quite a while.
1: So yeah, since 2003.
3: And how long have you been a pastor?
1: Four years. I just um, started my first or finished my fourth year no awesome. starting my fourth year there starting we go starting my fourth, okay. my fourth year you know they say you don't start pastoring until you're five so i <laughs> okay. guess either i'm still enjoying vacation or it's not as hard as everybody says it is but maybe god's just being merciful to me <laughs> so, yeah Aww.
3: and where's your church share with us the um yeah where your church is the name of your church
1: it is the Apostolic Church. It is in Beaumont, Texas, which is, is the deep southeast part of Texas. And um, one of the main reasons we're here is because my wife says, Babe, I'll go with you anywhere except for where there's humidity. And um, and obviously, God has a sense of humor because the humidity here uh, <laughs> is intense. It's normally in the 70s, and in, in the summer it gets into the 80s and 90s. And so, yeah, straight hair is a curse for her.
0: And,
1: uh, <laughs> but it's you know what the people are absolutely absolutely amazing
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um, would would not want to be anywhere else ever and so love it here
3: Ah that's awesome well, thank you for joining us today. We are talking about the sexless marriage today on our podcast and so we're gonna jump right in asking you questions about um, your experience working with couples who have, concerns about their sex life and, um, how this plays a role in both the making and breaking of people's relationships. So, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna jump right
0: in. So recently, uh, I saw a stat that said that one in three marriages, um, experience a desire gap. And I think this is really significant. It's probably applies right you know, in our ranks, in our movement. Um, what does that look like for you? Um, maybe you could speak to that a little bit and what you've seen in your practice.
1: I don't know what the definition of a desire gap is, but I mean, just by going by what it says, I would probably assume that's an underreporting. one out of three. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I've ever counseled with a couple where both of them were on the same page when it comes for one's desire with sexuality yeah. uh, almost always there is a there's one that's just desirous of it much more than the other um you know we're talking about affection and sexuality uh, they are obviously different things because um, one is touch and caring and caressing and holding and hugging and stuff without sexuality um, but we know that affection typically leads to sex and the in from my standpoint there's always or the vast majority of time there's a huge gap between uh, those the one that desires and the ones that what would you say not as desirous of that sexual intimacy Mm. um in my years of of traveling across the united states as a therapist and doing family conferences and marriage conferences without a doubt i would say that this issue uh, of a sexless marriage is a whole lot more profound and significant than many people are willing to admit. And their sexuality is the it's the thing nobody wants to talk about. Um, right? You don't talk about it with young people in in the adolescence years. Um, it's probably rarely, if ever, addressed even in premarital. Um, mm-hmm. If it is, the pastor typically just hands him a book and and says, "Here, good luck." and and don't actually talk about it um i do know there's a statistic that goes way back that says 90 percent of marriages have problems in the sexual arena of their relationship and never talk about it yeah because it's such a difficult conversation to have mm-hmm. um that usually most people they're just they're silent about it they hope it gets better uh, they pray that it would get better, maybe even, mm-hmm. but having the boldness and the ability to communicate about it—I mean, that requires a really open and intimate relationship between two people right. to be able to talk about that arena of sexuality to where to where both of them are are getting their needs met. Um, and so, I, I don't want to jump too far ahead of, of your questions, but I, as a therapist, I would say this: um, sexuality between a couple is typically what I would call the thermometer uh, of diagnosis for a relationship. It doesn't tell you what the problem is, but it lets you know that there's a problem somewhere. And if there's lack of sexual intimacy in that relationship, there's a problem. And what is is it? Is it because one of them has a pornography problem? Is it because one of them just has a past history of abuse? Or is it simply, and I think this is probably more common than people will are willing to admit, is it? Is it simply that one just doesn't have the desire and doesn't feel the need for it and doesn't realize that it's their responsibility to, to meet that need and they just hope it gets better because they don't want to communicate about it.
0: That's so good. You brought up so many good points here. Um, I, I don't want to talk about so much the the pornography or the adultery i think most of us deal with the desire gap in that like one is a high drive and one is low drive we just have different drives and there's you know no communication because i you brought this up too before marriage we don't talk about it because it's awkward and we don't know, should we be talking about that? No, we shouldn't. Okay, we won't, you know. And so we don't know about talking about it. Then we get into marriage with little to no guidance. And we feel awkward still. We bring that into our marriage, the awkwardness of like, has God designed this for us to enjoy? Or is this like, is this sinful? You know, could you speak to that? That might be, you know, one of the blocks.
1: Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, you said we get into marriage and even as christians you know pentecostals apostolics our concepts about sexuality typically come from secular material they come from things people have read they've seen uh heard people talk about i mean you even even talk about uh, bachelor parties and bachelorette parties that you know are are very common in, in christian circles and and so much of that is dominated by Secular belief and secular opinions about sexuality, so people bring in this twisted, distorted philosophies from the world into a godly marriage mm-hmm. and think that it's going to work. And really, what it creates is more frustration. Yeah, there's a desire gap typically between almost all relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's one that that wants to be sexually intimate and every day that ends with a why. You know, and, mm-hmm. and then there's the other that, you know, they're like, yeah. Once or twice a month is cool, if, if even that often, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And there, I think there's this perception out there too that it's always the man that is desirous of, of more sexuality and sexual intercourse than, than the woman. And that's not necessarily true as well. Right. Um, I, I've done many marriage conferences and had many uh, uh, marriage counseling sessions where the female was much more interested and desirous of it. And her male partner was the one that lacked the drive and lacked the interest. And he was the one saying, you know, once a month is is good with me. Mm -hmm. And she's just like baffled because all she hears from the world is, oh, yeah, your man should desire sexual intimacy on a regular basis. And if he doesn't, there's something wrong with him. He's getting it somewhere else. He's cheating on you. There's an affair, whatever, you know. And so you get a lot of ladies, uh, Christian women that question um, themselves begin to question the integrity of their husbands because they don't have that same drive and it's just it all comes down to this chemical uh, that god put in us or or most of it does called testosterone
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: johnson and johnson um, proved this probably about 10 15 years ago they came up with the female equivalent of viagra and it was this time-release testosterone patch that a woman would put on her shoulder and it would slowly release testosterone in her system. And it was designed to make her think uh, more about sexuality and desire and crave it more. Well, the wonderful thing was it worked. The bad thing was the side effects. Um you know, most men don't like women with hairy lips and deep voices. <laughs> and so uh, you know, it's like, hey babe, I love you. I love you too. You know, you know, are <laughs> expect to come back from your flight. And uh and so obviously it, it didn't, it, then it never made it out to the mainstream mm-hmm. uh, people because of that issue uh, of testosterone. And so uh, there's some men that are high testosterone, some women, men that are low testosterone. And, and we see this nowadays in the medical arena where you're getting this testosterone replacement therapy and treatment and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm probably getting off topic on on you. Well,
3: actually, that leads us to a a really good uh, segue here. How do you go about, from a therapeutic perspective, how do you go about addressing this um, drive gap uh, or the sexless marriage when a couple comes into your office and says, help, um, aside from testosterone patches and testosterone replacements? What do you do?
1: From a Christian biblical perspective, I deal with it first and foremost from a spiritual perspective.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, I, I know that's not what some people expect. Uh, most people want me to address the issue from a physiological or emotional perspective because their body, they, they feel is not interested in or their emotions are not interested in. Um, I, I have counseled with, I can't even tell you how many people, but uh, there's been numerous pastors I've even counseled with that have brought up this topic of this sexless aspect of their marriage and it was because of the insecurity that that at least they were saying was because the insecurity their wife felt about their own physical body you know they had aged they had put on weight and they'd gotten older the hair had grayed you know and we're talking about couples in their 40s 50s and maybe even 60s Mm -hmm. and they had gone months and some even years without being sexually active.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and they had created such a tremendous problem in that relationship. And, and the, the, the pastor was saying, you know, my wife doesn't understand how much I still desire her and need her. And her response is, how could you be attracted to this? And she points at a body that's gained 40, 50 pounds because of, of kids and has aged and got older. And he says, babe, I don't know how to say this, but I, I am, I love you, I, I care about them. And um, there's that spiritual connection in depth and there's that emotional connection in depth, which bleeds over to the physical connection in depth. And it all begins with the spiritual. So mm-hmm. whenever I have a couple that's willing to begin to work on this issue, I go straight to the spiritual component and begin to address it from the aspect uh, that that Paul talks about in Ephesians. Uh, I know the scripture says, you know, wives submit to your husbands and everyone can quote that one real good. But oftentimes they forget that it says that husbands must submit to wives as well, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and we submit to one another and we surrender our bodies out of service to one another and part of that spiritual protection, uh, to one another, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I had, uh, a couple come in and, and, and I began to talk about how she needed to help protect him spiritually. And she stated, she goes, well, he should be a man of integrity, whether I meet his needs or not. And I had to agree with her. I said, yeah, you're right. He should be. He should be a man of integrity, whether you meet his needs or not. I said, but let me ask you: What do you do about James chapter four verse seventeen, where it says, "To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin." Mm-hmm. I said, how, "How do you defend the fact that you're sinning against God and your husband by not submitting yourself to him?" in in a way that meets a, a need that only one person on earth can meet and that's you. Mm-hmm. And and typically there's silence. Yeah. Because in in a sexless marriage, it's with a couple that doesn't have, you know, all this baggage that you talked about, Adam, of, of the pornography or the abuse or anything like that. At the core of it is a submission issue to the word of God and the Spirit of God. I surrender myself to God. I am not my own, but I'm bought with a price. Mm -hmm. Therefore, glorify God. How? In your mortal bodies.
0: That's good. Mm -hmm.
3: So good.
1: And and we don't we never take it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. We always want to apply it to like, oh, I gotta fast, I gotta, you know, I gotta submit myself to, to God and do whatever, you know. But, the, you know, we can't, you know, dissect parts out of the scripture that we don't like. You know, we got to keep it intact and whole. And so we surrender ourselves to God. And as, and as Paul says, you submit to one another. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that, you know, you're, you're being sexually intimate every single day or several times out of the day. You know, mm-hmm. that you got to come with an, an understanding and have a conversation about it. How often does mm-hmm. your spouse need you? in that manner. There, there's research out there that shows that the more often a couple engages in intimate conversation and intimate touch. And intimate means just close, mm-hmm. affectionate, deep and caring. It's not talking about sexual. But the more often they have those intimate conversations and that intimate touch of affection, that the more frequent they are to have Um, sexual intimacy, where each other's needs are both met in that sexual relationship. And the less frequent they engage in that emotional, intimate, physical touch, the less frequently they are likely to have sexual contact. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll go as far as to say this. Someone who's not intimate with God, emotionally, spiritually, opening themselves up to him, are not going to be emotionally intimate with their spouse Mm -hmm. as well.
3: Yeah,
1: they'll be sexual, but they may not be intimate. And and there's an emotional disconnect there. And so getting back to, to, to Christian faith based people, I see this so much in the arena of Pentecost where you have a spouse that struggles, um, with this strong craving and desire in them for sexual closeness with their spouse. And yet they're rebuffed, they're they're turned away time after time. And
0: it feels like rejection. Like Mm
1: -hmm. it is rejection.
0: Like I don't want your love. That's what they're hearing. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't want you.
1: Correct. But that is exactly what they're hearing. They're not saying that. They're not saying those words. No, because they would say,
0: "Oh no, I love you so much. I just don't want sex.
1: I don't want to submit myself to you. Yeah. Hmm. I don't want to give all of me to you." Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, and I I hate to bring this aspect up, but it typically comes along with this aspect of us bringing in this secular perspective about sexuality.
0: Mm-hmm. You got
1: to look a certain way. You got to perform a certain way. You, you know, you got to please a certain way. And we're bringing in secular perspectives to something God has created That's to exist between one man and one woman for life under the umbrella of that marriage mm-hmm. and and you work at submitting yourself to one another and and satisfying one another yeah and so you know it's because they bring those you know i weigh too much now there's no way i can be appealing to him you know i or i you know i have put on too much weight so i'm not appealing to her mm-hmm. you know whatever it is and, and i mean there's a ton of physiological research out there that talks about you know, the more weight we put on, the the less this body functions the way it should function, you know. Right. And um mm. and I'm really treading on on no, dangerous waters here. It's so that's good, important. But that's yeah. that's
0: real. That's where people are. So let me ask let me ask this question then. So now we've had this discussion of okay, what you ought to do because of our moral compass and who we are in Christ. And and so now the couple has this kind of straightened out, like, okay, now we need to start working on it. How do we begin that? Well,
3: the action steps.: The action steps yeah. probably
0: starts with the conversation, but how do we start this process back to the intimacy so both people in the marriage begin to feel fulfilled? Hey friends, we'll be right back to our interview, but one quick note: If you love what you're listening to, you might also enjoy going through our card decks that we designed to help couples stay connected and in each other's world.
2: So there's Foundations, which is our starter deck, and it's all about boosting your communication skills. And then there's Sexpectations, which is all about spicing up your intimate connection. And then there's Realizations, which is a deck for all couples, but especially dating or engaged couples who want to see how well they really know each other. So grab a deck or two or three by heading over to our website, dearyoungmarriedcouple.com
3: slash cards.
0: All right, back to the show.
1: Gotcha understand. Um, number one, it's not romantic and it's not exciting, but it's called scheduling.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: schedule it. Most couples who end up in sexless marriages end up there because they never prioritized it mm-hmm. and they never took the time. You know, dates don't just happen. You know, in the, the therapeutic world, we talk about, Oh, you got to date your spouse. And we say that so often, you know, mm-hmm. you got to get it on your calendar. Well, as much as you need to do that, you need to get sexuality on the calendar too. That's good. Okay, but there's other research out there that shows that cup actually schedule days or times to be sexually intimate have a much more satisfying sexual relationship. Because why they scheduled it? Well, someone go. Well, that's not romantic. <laughs> well, hold on a second. You you telling me that? The the anniversary weekend at a town at a hotel that you scheduled months in advance is not romantic. You scheduled (laughs) that. You planned that. You prepared for that. Mm -hmm. And if it's so important, why don't you schedule and plan that more often?
0: Right. It's something to look forward to.
3: Yeah. And the anticipation looking forward to that actually can build a drive.
0: Well, desire, right? Mm -hmm. Like, And build... The arousal. Because a lot of people won't feel the desire to have sex until they're aroused. So a lot of people have their spouse at arm's length saying, I don't want to be aroused because I just don't want it right now. Right? But there's a kind of a catch-22.
3: Yeah. But if you can schedule it, then you're much more likely to engage that arousal so that desire is peaked.
1: Correct. That, that willingness to be aroused you know Mm -hmm. and i think it begins first and foremost in the heart and in the spirit of an individual with a willingness for that to happen like i said the anniversary getaway weekend you know you go away and you willingly acknowledge okay hey this is going to take place Mm -hmm. and and you begin to emotionally build yourself up for that event so when it comes you're willing to submit yourself to that act of sexual intimacy. Uh, And so the willingness to be aroused is the first step. Mm -hmm. And so I tell couples to schedule it, that they need to really have a conversation of, okay, how often do we need to be sexually intimate to meet the need that number one, provides a level of protection for you and for your mind. The reason I say that is is some of these couples that i counseled with have told me, you know, In my dreams, I have had sex with numerous people that I know, and I wake up with guilt and condemnation, and I wake up repenting, saying, God, I'm so sorry. I mean, we're talking about a dream, something you can't control. Yeah. Okay. But but because that desire in them is so strong, and they realize it's not being met by their wife anymore, the mind, the limbic system of the mind begins to insert people in there in a dream state mm-hmm. that you know and, and so you wake up and you feel guilt. Yeah. And so how often do we need to do this? Is it once a week? Is it once every two weeks? Mm-hmm. What is the adequate level for you as a spouse? And and how often can we schedule this? Yeah. I understand you know yeah. kids and schedules and all that throws absolutely everything out of whack. Mm-hmm. But right. your marriage is the most important thing you can give your children yeah and a good foundational aspect of that marriage is that emotional intimate spiritual emotional and physical intimacy mm-hmm. that takes place in a marriage it's, it's a holistic aspect i mean let's let's jump back a little bit and talk about how it's a spiritual issue you know in deuteronomy 6 Right after verse four, you know about one God. You know that shall love. You know here was Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Three distinct aspects of your humanity. Yeah. In the New Testament, they ask Jesus, "What's the greatest command?" And he does what? He repeats Deuteronomy six and five: Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Okay, three distinct okay. aspects. Okay. And when we become one with somebody we've got to submit ourselves to them spiritually, physically, and emotionally, that oneness that must be complete for them to have a quality, intimate relationship. And so, so scheduling good. that time is absolutely important. You know, oh, wow. so let's just say you schedule you schedule Thursday night because it's a slow night of the week. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, on Wednesday night, that high-drive spouse goes to bed, and and they're like geared up, but they can go to sleep because they go, okay, tomorrow's the night. Sure. Tomorrow's the night, and they're not reaching over and and pawing at and rubbing on, hoping that low-drive spouse might get aroused and feeling and rejected. Ultimately, yeah. they end up and feeling rejected again, so they roll back over and like, oh, forget it. If okay. they note, if they know Thursday night's the night. On Wednesday night, they can go to bed, they can reach over, they can touch their spouse, they can hold their hand, they can snuggle without any expectation of sexuality taking place because, well, Thursday night's the night. We've got a schedule. And then when Thursday night comes around, he's been thinking about it all day, she's been thinking about it all day, you know, hopefully both of them have showered, prepared Mm -hmm. for it, so they're presentable to one another. And when that high drive spouse reaches over and snuggles with them, there's that willingness to submit and go, okay, I, I am available to you yeah. to meet this need and realize that and in the eyes of God, it is a absolutely beautiful thing and a precious thing. And so the first thing you need to do is schedule it.
3: I think it's important too that people t- they have this conversation regularly because scheduling it might look one way in one season of their lives and then it could look a different way in another season. They might need and want and be able to have sex 3-4 times a week in one season and then once a week or once every other week in another season. So just revisiting that frequency conversation.
1: You don't, don't get to an age either where you can just stop and think, well I'm just too old for this now. Okay. I had a couple in my office, he was 85 she was 83 and as we began talking about you know things that had upset their marriage and unforgiveness and bitterness at the very end of the session I asked the couple is there anything else you'd like to work on and there was this pause and the 83 year old lady said you know I'd like to improve our sex life I I was like you know, I as the therapist, just keeping a straight face. You know, I'm eighty-three years old. He's eighty-five, and and I go, okay. I said, that's I said, we great. can work on that. So the first question is, is everything still functioning? You know, mm-hmm. and this eighty-five-year-old guy goes, oh yeah, everything works <laughs> great. You know? but oh, what no. is that? That's that's an amazing thing that at eighty-three and eighty-five, we're still desirous mm-hmm. of being physically intimate with one another. The sad thing is they waited till 83 and 85 to finally address it. And I've met with couples in their 40s, their 50s, 60s, and 70s across the board that they have endured and put up with a less than satisfying sexually intimate relationship because they were afraid to talk about it. Yeah. And it was a, a frustration and cause the inability for them to to connect on a deeper, more intimate level. So you're right, Teresa, being able to reevaluate it in the seasons of life. Uh, In fact, I would say that probably every week to two weeks, you you look at a calendar and go, hey, you know, I got this going on, got this going on. You know, this week's just really crazy. Can we move the day? Or, you know, we've got this going on. And you you communicate about it on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. and it becomes that much more easy to communicate.
3: So good.
1: That is so good. Yes.
0: Yeah.
3: Beautiful tip. What's what's step two?
1: Um, if you continue to 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 have some issues because of all the information we bring in from secular society, I recommend reading a book. Okay. It's called Sheet Music by Ke- by Kevin Lehman.
3: Yes. We love Sheet Kevin, Kevin Lehman.
1: By Kevin Lehman. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um I recommend the couple actually, you know, when on they schedule that night, okay they, 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 they jump in bed, they sit there and they pull the book out and they begin reading through it one chapter at a time. And if they can, they read it out loud to one another.
3: Nice.
1: Love it. Okay.
0: Um, cause that normalizes the conversation.
1: Correct. Oh yeah. I have numerous couples that say, you know, we got through like three pages of it and, and we had to stop, you know, because it started a conversation <laughs> yep. Yeah, and then the conversation led to physical intimacy. Yeah. Because they were both willing to submit to one another mm-hmm. and talk about it. Okay? And and the wonderful thing about Kevin Lehman's book is he addresses sexuality from a biblical perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. He's
1: not addressing it from a pornography perspective. From a, a magazine perspective, it's not Cosmopolitan. It's not whatever junk magazines there on the you know grocery checkout register line. You know, it is biblical information that he takes and says, "Hey, look at these different aspects of sexuality, and and look at how they they can be incorporated." Into and then you know, Kevin Lehman has a great way of coming out and just saying what nobody else wants to say, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when you read some of it, you're just like kind of like in shock and all like, did he just really say that? You know, and you're like, yeah, he did. And then he goes back to and he'll quote from the Song of Solomon, yep, to reiterate and point out, yep, this is okay, mm-hmm. this is a <laughs> good thing. It. God. And in fact, this is such a, a, an aspect of marriage that God decided to put it in the Holy Scripture,
0: mm-hmm. in the yes. same
1: book that says, "Here of Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord." In the same Scripture that talks about, you know, making disciples, in the same Scripture that we pull all these other things we so staunchly stand upon, but we reject this because I don't want to submit to it.
0: Mm.
3: I love how you bring it down to a submission issue. So good. How we end each podcast, we, we do a fill in the blank, rewinding back to the first few years of your marriage and thinking, you know, what advice do I wish I would have received? So dear young married couple, and then fill in the blank.
1: Yep. Dear young married couple, God has given you a spouse that is unique, a spouse that is different, And a spouse that he knew only you could help them become who God has called them to be. Mm -hmm. The parable of the talents lets us know that the master is willing to give us things of value. Mm -hmm. And most theologians say the parable is not about money. It's about things and people that God places into our life. And our job is to do what? Add value to them. Mm -hmm. The master may have given you a two-talent spouse or a five-talent spouse. And he entrusted them with you because he knew and he trusted and believed in you to invest in them, to learn about them, to love them, to be in your care, to help them become who he's called them to be. So stop looking to worldly examples of how to love your spouse. Start praying to God. Anyone that lacks wisdom, let him ask, Mm. and God will give liberally God. Give me wisdom. And for me, it's God, give me wisdom to help Brenda be the woman you've called her to be with all her insecurities, with her past, with her potential. Help me to make her into the vessel that you want her to be. And, And, and I've got to learn about her. I've got to learn how to motivate her. I've got to learn how to protect her and value her and cherish her. And, and I don't compare her to anybody else because there's nobody else like her. And I'm going to stand before God and you're going to stand before God someday. He's going to say, hey, I gave them to you. What did you do with them? Did you increase their value? Or out of fear, out of selfishness, did you return them to me the exact same way I gave them to you? And that's my advice.
0: Wow.
3: Feel wow. the Holy Ghost here on a podcast talking about sex.
0: I keep looking at Chris <laughs> and mouthing, wow, that's good.
3: <laughs> so good. So thank I you so it. much for
0: taking the time out of your very busy schedule as a pastor and a therapist Absolutely. and all the other stuff yes. you do.
3: Thank you. Yes. Uh, are you, no, well, no, are, no, are no, you no, taking no, clients? No, we should ask.
1: You know what? I am only taking clients um, If they come directly to me from a pastor's referral, okay. And so I don't take anyone that comes to me. I just at this point I'm so overwhelmed with uh, everything I've got to do. Um, but so it, we'll tell people get in contact directly.
3: with their pastor, and their pastor yes. can contact you.
1: Yes. Okay. Or they can go to our website at tac.life. Life. Okay. You can email us and contact us from there. Uh, or they can log on and see a host of teachings and things like that uh, Super. that are on our, our live stream uh, network there.
3: Okay. So, Great. Okay. All right. All right. Thank, thank, you thank you so much. So much. Jason Carr, folks.
1: Y'all are awesome.
0: Uh, God bless you, brother. God bless you. All right, friends. We really hope that you got a ton out of today's conversation. And if you want help, if you want personal guidance,
2: And we'd love for you to join us in conversation there. All right. See you next week.
3: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding